Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? I am doing splendidly. Sounds like the old introduction. The new one doesn't work. I tried to uh, get the one that she had sent me to upload on here, but um, it's not in the right file, so I wanted her to email it to me, but it didn't happen. So hopefully by next (laughs) When I was over there yesterday, she said she might have to redo it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what's going on with it, but something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, stay tuned. We will have a introduction that includes really the new book, Abundantly Well, which with 
any luck at all, we'll go to the printer this week. I just got the corrections on the index back from Betsy. Just picked them up on my way home to dinner. And then when I'm done with blog talk show, I'm probably going to stay up and get all those corrections in. Great. Woohoo! Yes. I like yeah. to work at night. For a time to work. <laughs> it is a great time to work. Yeah. <laughs> Always a good the time opposite. for me. Some people are morning people. Some of us are the night owls. Hoot, hoot. Mm-hmm. Mm, for sure. I took um, your solstice tincture, the 100 proof with the cannabis with me, to the Goddess Spirit Rising Conference and uh, used it to help a great many people who are in pain. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So I wanted to let you know. Um, what a blessed gift that was that you sent me and that I'm spreading it out and sharing it around and telling people where I got it and that uh, um, I am so thrilled to see that the the fresh flowers work just fine in underproof vodka. Yeah, a lot of people like that a lot. People, um, you know, still are requesting it from me. I can't, unfortunately, um, distribute it on Etsy, but I I do a little, you know, and I use it myself and and uh, my friends and stuff. So yeah, oh, I like it too. Is that what mm-hmm. you call it? Is solstice medicine? Is it kind of like the code for it, or is solstice medicine? Yeah, your... that was kind of my old name, like that I had before. I, I like when I was just doing because I had done like a bunch of. Uh, uh, for my the donations for my trip to India, like I just made a whole bunch of stuff. So that was like that was the name I was using then, and now it's evolved into the the Love Herbs is my business name. But then I couldn't use that on social media and on Etsy because it had al- al- already been taken on there. So n- then I was using Nourish Wholeness, and yeah, <laughs> so I have all these names, right? <laughs> but I love the solstice medicine. Right, so so solstice medicine is what all the tinctures are. Mhm. The okay, solstice medicine is yeah the old the old the old uh, the old name, but I you know because I end up making a lot of medicine around the solstices and doing you know a lot of harvesting around the solstices and it just seems and, like a really potent time of year, you know. Yeah, and equinox coming up in a few days now. Yes. The fall equinox. Mm-hmm. A good, uh, interesting time to uh, be aware that the sun will stand still, solstice, sun stands still. It's really what it means. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. And then um, the the equinox is equal day and night. So yeah. we're coming to that time in the fall when the day and the night will be equal, and we've all been noticing it getting darker sooner and sooner. And soon thereafter as well, they will fiddle with our clocks again, and it will really get dark fast. Mm-hmm. Between the the natural uh, turning into darkness, we will have the, the, the strange clock fiddle. Yeah, we've been getting lots of rain here, and it's like dark. It's you know the yeah. <laughs> dark pretty much yeah, yeah. day long, and so um, let's I can see feel what the did full. we do at Goddess Spirit Rising? We yeah. had some fringe workshops, and one of those was vocal empowerment for women. 
Mm-hmm. And then healing the inner waters. And the green goddess, you know who gave that one. <laughs> and a healing circle with Billawara from Australia. The descent of Persephone. And basket weaving. And those were the days before the conference. And then we had a wonderful opening ceremony. And the women who put on this conference are very much into ritual and performance and costumes and masks and and decorations and altars. And so it's always a feast for all of the senses. And then afterwards, outside was a Mayan fire ceremony, which I don't even really have any words for. It was pretty phenomenal. And, uh, of course, Friday morning there was all the usual before breakfast things. And then lots and lots and lots of workshops. I like this one. Change nothing and nothing changes. Hmm. (laughs) And then a workshop called Shooting Star Woman. The one I went to was Activism into Art into Activism into Art. By Christina Biacci. I had really just intended to like take a kind of lazy morning, and I was sitting there eating breakfast. And one of the women came and said, "There's only two women in Christina's class. Everybody get up and go to Christina's class. You're not doing anything." So we did, because why not? I could take a lazy morning listening to Christina. I benefited so much by it. She was at Greenham Common in England. She was at Seneca Falls doing the. Do you remember the nuclear? Um, protests when they were stockpiling nuclear weapons at Greenham Common in Seneca Falls. And there were hundreds of women who camped out at these army depots to protest the proliferation of nuclear weapons. When was, was when was that? Do you know what year? Oh, this was in the 70s. Yeah, before my time, but yeah. Yes, mm. but still at all. Yeah. Uh, it's such an important part of women's activism. Mm-hmm. And and deeply connected to women's spirituality because it was a place where women really came together and bonded and really um, began to really see the uh, the lies that the culture had been feeding us. So she took pictures at at Seneca Falls and at Greenham Common where she lived for a while, and then when she went back home, she started making art with those pictures. Mm-hmm. Quite phenomenal stuff. She has a book out, Christina Biagi. And there was also a workshop on the intuitive artist channeling the goddess through creativity. And there was a big labyrinth there, a big labyrinth made of some kind of very heavy nylon fabric in a rainbow. It was a rainbow labyrinth. It was so beautiful. It was like the Chartres Cathedral Labyrinth, but smaller. And um, so they started the the uh, conference with a workshop about it. And then it, anyone was free to go and walk it so long as you wore booties, no bare feet, no shoes. And then I went to Max Dashu Healers, Kirinderas, and Medicine Women, an international view of women healers. Oh, I love Max Dashu's work, and she has several books out, D.A. S-H-U, Max Dashu, at the same time, 
Mary Hunter was giving a workshop on the Queen of Sheba, an ancient woman from modern times. And Miranda Katz was creating sacred yoni self-portraits. And Judith Laxer was letting ourselves off the hook. Kathleen Ravenwood, the high priestess serving at the altar of wisdom. Suzanne Vaught, the magic of animal communication. And that afternoon, there were more workshops. She can be silenced to no more using sacred drama as a tool to transform the world. An introduction to traditional Filipino plant medicine. The Living Tarot. That's interesting the, the woman that's... On tonight is part Filipino as well. Yes. And is yeah. The mm-hmm. magic of the elements reconnecting with nature. And I taught a workshop called Chant and Trance. And Ooh, we cool. chanted and I led them in an earth attunement trance and then we chanted some more and um Judy Felix was there, wonderful performer, folk singer also from way back, but still performing in her eighties. And she shared with us a chant that she had made about Echinacea. I don't remember it, but it was a very fun chant. I was a little like, oh, my gosh, I'm teaching a workshop on chants, and here's all these, like, professional musicians. Maybe I should just go hide my head, you know. But we had a very, very good time, and I was glad that I did it. And one doesn't have to be, you know, like the queen of it to teach it. Mm-hmm. And then Friday afternoon, Zhuzhana Budapest gave a workshop on the goddess ethics and goddess morality. And um, there was a ceremony um, to impart divine grace. Constance Tippett gave a workshop on the body of the goddess. Willow Tucker did magical manifestation and the pentacle of posterity. Lani Yamasaki did live ukai, the healer's journey. Dr. Renu Loomis did Semillas de la Abuela's teaching to reclaim the rhythm of Mother Earth. And then we had our Friday afternoon, the world premiere of Herstory, the Lydia Rule movie. With Isadora Leiden Frost, who made uh, it's actually the United States premiere of the movie. I think she has shown it somewhere in Europe already. It was a wonderful, wonderful movie. Lydia Rule um, made these incredible goddess banners. She got into the goddess in her middle age, in her 50s, and she just took off with it. And once she retired from her professional life, she did nothing but go around the world taking the girls, as she called them, her goddess banners. And they're big banners. They're usually like, you know, six to eight feet tall and three to four feet wide. They're real banners. right? And she hung them in all kinds of places like Machu Picchu, and they've been walked through the streets of Glastonbury. And they, the last full showing of all 382 goddess banners that she made. Um, was at the Congress of World Religions before she died. 
Mm. So we totally enjoyed that. And then we had a celebration of the Goddess Friday night with all of the talented goddesses singing and belly dancing and telling stories and Windwalker and her sister beating a drum bigger than my bathroom and singing at the top of their lungs Cherokee songs. I told them they had really redeemed the Cherokee song lineage for me because I'd only ever heard those songs out of the throats of men. Mm. And they have, you know, a particular way of singing, which isn't the hey yeah, hey yeah. It's like kind of singing. Mhm. <laughs> yeah, I can hear but it. To see two two <laughs> women up there doing that, whamming on this drum, woo! Powerful. <coughs> Absolutely amazing. The very last song they sang was something like, bum 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 bum. Yippee-i-yay, and they call it Cowboys and Indians. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I'm not doing it justice, but But at least you get the idea of it. So, yes, Mm -hmm. yes, right along with this theme tonight, we are going to be talking to Gemma Benton a traditional Native American singer, wildcrafter, spiritual activist, and the creator of Shift Networks, Reweaving Your Ancestral Stories. So she will be on at 9 o'clock my time, or about an hour and um, some time, uh, depending on what, what time it is and what time you are at. Can I uh, or stay with us until then? I just have a a question about what you, what kind of chants you were chanting uh, for your workshop. I dedicated the chanting workshop to Marie Summerwood, Mm -hmm. and I started with "Dance in a circle of women, make a web of my life." Spiral and spin, make a web of my life. I also mm-hmm. sang um, her chant. Call me every day, mother. Call me every day. Call me every day, mother. Call me every day, daughter, daughter. I will call you, call you every day. I will call you. And, of course, I sang, I went out one day with my guts to play, because it's such a fun sing-along song, and I wanted everybody to sing along. There's a workshop on chant and trance, as we did a trance to a tune with the heartbeat of the earth. And then we sang, Mother, I feel you under my feet. Mother, I feel your heartbeat. Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. And we, I told the story of Marie not liking her name, and her mother had prayed to the Virgin Mary, and then Marie embraced Mary as her goddess archetype and came to really understand her in a different way. Whereupon she wrote, She walks with snakes, she stands on the moon. She walks with snakes, she stands on the moon. She walks with snakes, she stands on the moon. A merry, 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 
stands on the moon. So we had a lot of fun singing a lot of different chants. Beautiful, yeah. And then I asked women who were there in the workshop what chant they wanted to sing. Maya Tree was there. She'd been at Live Out Apprentice a few years ago. And she said, oh, I want to sing the song we sing at Moon Lodge, Nisa, Nisa, Nisa. So we sang Nisa, Nisa, Nisa. And, uh, yeah, it made me um, really understand how much nourishment I get from the, the singing that I do at home. You know, we don't have, we don't play recorded music, and I ask the apprentices to do without recorded music while they're here. But we sing before talking stick, and we sing before we eat, and we find ourselves singing when we're out with the goats and just walking around from place to place because we've opened up the space for our songs and our chants to flow into. And I talked a little bit about how there's always, you know, that monkey mind racing on telling us things. And if you're chanting, then that's what you're telling yourself. Dance in a circle of women. Instead of, and then she said, and I can't believe, and da-da-da, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and we talked about the workshop that Marie did here where we were pressing apple cider and trying to make a chant, and she told us to collect words and put them in an um, imaginary basket. And we just kept collecting words, and she said, good, when the basket is overflowing, we will sort through the words, and we will throw most of them away. And so that's what we did, and we were left with the words that were really vital. And we kept saying, we have to have a tune, we have to have a tune. And she kept saying, no, you don't, the tune will come, leave it alone, no, you don't. And we're sitting out in the teepee by the fire, and we're getting, like, all kind of draggy, and like, we'll never have a chant, it will never happen. Right, and Marie, wonderful midwife that she was, said to us, just hang in there, hang in there, it'll come, it'll come. Just throw away a few more words. The ones that are left will arrange themselves and the tune will come. Turn me in your spiral press to my sweet Jesus, the Lord Goddess. Where of the year is turning, turning, turning into darkness. We'll be getting apples soon and pressing cider. We'll be singing the mm-hmm. cider press. Wow, that's good. Thanks yeah. for sharing. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Uh-huh. Um, so there was a past apprentice of yours that she puts her kids to sleep at this time, and she had written in um, a couple questions. Would you want to take those first? Sure. All right. She. The first question is, um, is there a more new – oh, okay. Is there more nutrition in organic fresh pressed apple cider or organic pasteurized apple juice? My husband and I have been in a dispute about this, and we thought well, there's you could no clear nutrition it up. in apple juice. None. Mm-hmm. Forget it. I don't care if it's fresh, if it's frozen, if it's pasteurized. It doesn't matter. There's no nutrition. Mm-hmm. Go to the so supermarket. The Go to the supermarket. Mainly- up a jug of apple juice and read the nutrition label. Zero, 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 zero vitamins, zero minerals. Sometimes there's vitamin C added, and so it says vitamin C a certain percentage, but it's because they added vitamin C. However, if you press apples without washing them, 
that apple juice contains bacteria and fungi, fungal spores, that will, over a period of weeks, turn the apple juice into apple cider, which is fermented. And the fermentation process itself creates vitamins. Sauerkraut has 10 times more vitamin C than the cabbage did. Beer has 17 times more B vitamins than the barley has. So by fermenting the apple juice, we get some nutrition. There is no nutrition in apple juice no matter what it is or isn't. But if we ferment it into apple cider, then there's some vitamins. Sounds good. And then she has a question about her 11th-month-old child had a bad case of what sounded like a barking cough or croup and associated stuffiness, difficulty breathing, difficulty sleeping, and just being sick in general. We made her mullein milk, and it definitely helped a whole lot, but I was wondering what else you would recommend in the future to soothe her sore throat in the middle of the night and what herbal remedies might help her sleep better. She didn't want to nurse at this point because she was so tired from waking up so much and having a sore throat. Thank you very much, and this is Stephanie Rodzell. Uh, (laughs) Honey, 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 honey. Got a sore throat? Get honey. Mhm. Mhm. Honey, yeah. honey, honey. Hey, you got honey with elderberry in it? Ooh, even better. Right? Or honey with a little propolis in it? Mm. But honey. Honey draws moisture to tissues. Really relieves mm. that sore throat. When I'm Working with myself, if I have a fever and a sore throat, then, of course, I'm going to be taking echinacea. And the dosage of echinacea is one drop for every two pounds of body weight. And initially, those doses can be taken pretty close together hourly or every other hour. And then they can be lengthened. And when we get to eight hours between doses, I usually keep it at eight hours between doses until... I think that the echinacea is not really needed anymore. In other words, when all symptoms are abated and and, uh, the whole episode seems to be at an end. Of course, getting sick in our first three years is a really um, important activation of the immune system and should not be seen as any breakdown in health. Um, In fact, you might notice in your life that the people who suddenly drop dead of a heart attack and the people who are suddenly diagnosed with fatal cancer, they're going to die in a few weeks or a few months, are people about whom we might say they've never been sick in a day in their lives. Similarly, people who have pollen allergies tend to have less cancer because the allergies so activate the immune system. Certainly we want our children to be comfortable, but 
I don't think that unless there's an extremely high fever or some other um, unusual symptom that we need to be too alarmed or worried about our child getting sick. Mm-hmm. Now, what she doesn't say, and of course, what comes to mind is what immunizations and vaccinations has her child had? Because there's a host of very serious problems that can happen to children that can kill them if they haven't been vaccinated or immunized. So that's one of the reasons why I like to talk to people, because then I can ask those kinds of questions, especially since she's asking me for what she might do in the future. I don't have enough information about the past to be able to project into the future for her. And, yeah, it would be good. So she'll probably listen to this if she if she called in and talked. Um, I know that vaccinations, she she wanted to talk about that before, too. So, um, last, yeah. last week's New Yorker magazine has an excellent, excellent article on what's going on with measles, the measles outbreak, and the measles vaccine. And as you know, I start the day with the New England Journal of Medicine. And the headline this morning was, first month since January with no new measles cases. Hmm. And yes, there have been deaths in this measles outbreak. Mm-hmm. And they're contributing that to vac- being, people being vaccinated? No, people being not vaccinated, right? Children who have not been vaccinated get measles. Right. And measles, as the article says, is uniquely contagious. The organism that causes measles is an aerosol, and it stays in the air for up to 48 hours. So a child with measles can walk through a public space, and anyone else who walks through that space in the next 48 hours can get measles. Mhm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So much controversy with the vaccine thing right now. I mean, out where out where I live, I mean, there's just I see people posting on well, it. That's why. That's why I'm suggesting that people read this article. One of the right. the statements that really jumped out, and it's thorough, and it's about 20 pages. I mean, it's not a short article. Um, one of the things that really jumped out at me and really helped me understand, because of course I grew up in an era where I saw children die of these childhood diseases. I saw the saving of life and the saving of... Um, the article talks about how many deaf children are being born because of uh, their their mom when she was pregnant getting measles. And how many children, have their even if they're not deaf, have their hearing impaired for life because of it. I, mean, I saw these things as a child. I saw friends of mine get polio and never be able to walk again. It was very scary and quite horrifying, needless to say. And one of the things that the writer of this article says is that the, the, the people who are now not vaccinating their children never saw this. They have no idea what can happen. Yeah, I they actually just They don't really thought... understand what they're saying no to. 
that somebody posted yesterday, and it was kind of downplaying the risk of these diseases and saying that she wasn't as a an, somebody that considers herself an expert in the field doesn't consider these diseases life threatening. And I thought that that was like I was just I mean, she's a younger woman. She's probably around my age, and so yeah, she hasn't seen. But she was said you know like she wasn't concerned if her kids even did get these diseases and so she was cho choosing not to vaccinate but also like putting this on like a major news outlet that um that she's not vaccinating and yeah so i mean there's yeah there's just so much controversy around it right now and there's so, been so many children that have been injured from vaccines too that that's like a serious i'm sorry that's I think simply not true that's simply not true they're not so Many. What percentage of children have been injured by vaccines? I mean, I don't know the exact statistics, Less but I know. one percent. Well, I know that billions of dollars have been given out to to families from from the vaccine in, injuries from. How many children are vaccinated? Every year, less than 1% could still be several hundred. Mm -hmm. And if several hundred are each given, you know, uh, millions of dollars, that adds up very quickly. Mm -hmm. Should we... Uh, not go anywhere in cars. Quite a few people are injured by cars every year. Right. I, I I hear you. I think that there's a lot of fear surrounding it, and I do feel like, you know. I do not think that there is a controversy of fact. I think the fact is clear. I think there is a controversy of opinion. I think it depends on on the the vaccine too. I know that there's like um like the Gardasol that is for the HPV vaccine is like and I mean, HPV, why would, which is that, I mean there's like all these vaccines HPV vaccine, Gardasol, is required in England, has been required since it came out, and the rate of oral and anal HPV cancer in England is now reduced by one-third. Okay. Well, I know that I'm very cautious about them as well opinion, because like a lot of but the things that are in are the and the yeah. fact is that Gardasil reduces your risk of getting cancer from HPV. Mm -hmm. A woman said to me that she chose not to have her teen girl vaccinated. And as a young woman, she got HPV and she now has cervical cancer and might die. And she is haranguing her mother and telling her what a bad mother she was that she didn't have her vaccinated. Okay. She says, and I have to live with that. I have to live with knowing I could have saved my child's life, and I didn't. And then, I mean, but then there's, like, a ton of parents that, I mean, you're saying that it's less than 1%, but there's a lot of parents out there that are 
saying that their children have been injured from vaccines and what do you mean by a lot it's it's a meaningless word rebecca there is a vocal few mhm what's the population more, the population of oregon when I read when I read stuff, it's What's like that I. What's the population of Oregon State? What's that? How many people live in Oregon, the state? Um, how many million live here? I'm not sure. Well, let's say a hundred million. Not quite, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Figure, and let's say that a third of them are children under the age of 18. Does that seem reasonable? Mhm. So yeah. that would that would be 35 million. There's just over 4 million people that live here. Okay, so, yeah. so, okay. so there's 4 million. <laughs> so let's say 1 million are under the age of 18. Mhm. So a lot would have to be more than half. In other words, more then half of those would have had to be injured for it to be a lot. Mm-hmm. I, there's not 500,000 people who've been injured, Rebecca. We're talking about a few hundred. Okay. It's a tiny percentage of the people who've received the vaccine. How many people who get cervical cancer, oral cancer, and anal cancer wind up dying of it? This is a question that needs to be put side by side. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. I think it's a, it's an important thing to talk about and to, for people to hear too, because I know a lot of people are really confused about the vaccine debate and there's a lot of misinformation, but also people, you know, like you look at the, the ingredients of the vaccines and it's very uh, disconcerting, you know, so. <laughs> I know. I wish everybody had to take organic chemistry in eighth grade, but they don't. And so they ha- they think mercury is mercury is mercury and it is not. Mm-hmm. All minerals, including mercury, occur in a great number of ionic forms. Let's just look at calcium and mineral. If you go out to the store to buy calcium, you usually get what? Calcium carbonate. Right. If you drink orange juice that is um, calcium fortified, that has calcium citrate in it. If you get those little packages of emergency, that has calcium ascorbate in it. Calcium lactate is used to fortify breadstuffs. So one, two, there's four forms of calcium right there. All minerals occur in hundreds of different forms which interact with the body in different ways. And the Mercury that is used as a preservative in vaccines, which isn't even in there anymore, was one that was chosen because it does not interact with human cells.
Are we still together here? Yeah, I'm just listening. So, people are misconstruing what they are reading because they do not understand how their bodies actually operate. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, when I was a child, children were allowed to play with liquid mercury. Mm -hmm. I have handled mercury. I've had it in my hands from thermometers. And a hundred years ago, mercury was given to people as a purge. It was considered the perfect purge because it caused both vomiting and diarrhea. Hmm. So we're talking about mercury actually given, ingested by people as a health aid. We're talking about mercury played with, and we're going to then be alarmed and fearful about the tiniest amount of non-interactive mercury, which is not even in the vaccines anymore. Yeah, there's also things like formaldehyde and uh, like... uh, Again, these are in incredibly tiny amounts, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. I mean, considering all the other stuff we're exposed to, I can, I mean... And, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's in any amount. Right. And if it's a live vaccine, we do need something to preserve it. Mm -hmm. In fact, those very things that people are most afraid of are the things that make those vaccines safest. Mm -hmm. And this is what I mean when I say there is no controversy of facts. There was only a controversy of opinions. But can you, I mean, like at the schedule that they're given to, like when they're given like so many at one time. That's an opinion. It's not a fact. Yeah. It's an opinion. Everyone has their opinion. Would you to get one at a time? The facts are that vaccines overall have saved huge number of lives, prevented huge numbers of grievous problems that would plague people throughout their life and have probably been the single most effective thing in increasing longevity. You and I are writing on the good health that vaccination has created. Mm -hmm. And we're not giving that benefit to the next generation. Will they think we were kind to them? Or will they, like the young woman who's dying of cervical cancer, hate us? Okay. <laughs> I have some work to do with the vaccines. I'm still, you know, I I have my children have had uh, you know, a vaccine each, but I'm still I'm still um 
yeah, I have a hard time with it. And I know a lot of other people do too. So, <laughs> but when you, I mean, would you suggest just getting one at a time though? You're not saying like go in and like go with their whole schedule. Why not? Why not go with the whole schedule? The schedule wasn't made up by one cracked idiot. The schedule was created by teams of people who know more about vaccines and immunizations than everybody else put together. Mm -hmm. So I am going to pretend that I know more than they do? It's hard to trust them. I mean, I feel like, you know, like there's just so, there's been so much that's happened, like within the healthcare system. Like, who's to say that I should just, like, hand my trust over to this schedule that, they, that they've created? Then do some background research and find out why they have that schedule. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who, who created the schedule? Who is this panel of experts that Susan is talking about? Mm-hmm. I'll look okay, into it. I did a research with my kids. after all, since some cell phones blew up, then it's not safe to use a lawnmower, right? Hmm. You know, you mix in apples and um, barley here. By saying, I don't know if I trust the medical profession because in these other scores, I'm like, ah, let's just stick to what we're talking about, I would say. Hmm. I'm not asking you to abandon yourself to modern medicine. You asked me a specific question. Mm-hmm. And my answer is yes, they've created that schedule based on the best information available to the best minds looking at this. Okay. I'm going to do some more research, and I will let the the first caller come through. Are you ready for the first caller? I am. am. Okay. The, The first caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. Thank you for that amazing conversation just now. I, I want to listen to it again. It really it just educated me quite a bit. Susan, um, I've talked to you before, and I'll just – I wrote this down so I don't sound silly. Um, I've talked to you. I am the person who lives near you. I'm 62. I'm, I have the uh, shrinking teratomas. One was nine centimeters, put me in the ER at the end of July – and I spoke to you, and of course I have your book um, down there. And uh, I've, I always drink my nourishing herbal infusions. I've added the burdock quarter week. I'm doing uh, um, consuming chickweed and wild yam tinctures, sometimes four times a day, sometimes a little more than a dropper full. We had that conversation. The reason why I'm calling you is, um, well, I, I felt I've never felt. 100% better. Like I always feel like it's there's something down there um and and urinating and and passing bowels or or you know, I know that I know something's different down there since this all happened and and I was feeling better. 
um, and I do move a lot. I was doing yoga and teaching yoga. But in the last, I don't know, just something that hasn't changed that I talked to you about, you said it might be something to do with hemorrhoids. I just feel like I move my bowels more than I ever have. And, yes, I'm I'm eating a little bit better. I ate good before. But only a little bit's coming out, and it's painful. I mean, it's not like I can't take it. But I was in the wilderness for a few days, and what really woke me up in a way when I was focusing inward was I couldn't do exactly what I wanted. It's not like I couldn't survive or do my work or take my dogs out, but I couldn't walk long distances, and I do have a persistent pain. Now, I didn't have my skull cap with me, and I just got home this evening, and there was no skull cap tincture. I did take some CBD and felt a little better, but I guess please comment on any of that, and I just have a question about the skull cap on anyway. My comment is a question. What do you think is happening? You know, Susan, I don't know. I, and I, I, the last three days, you know, I use the, the tools that you've given me, some tools, the affirmations, and um, I, I just feel like I, I, don't, I don't know. And a little bit of fear has crept in in the past three days. That was my I next question. What does your fear say? I, I don't know. I guess I have to sit with it some more. I, I don't. What you say fear I, has crept in. Fear of what? Fear that, it, well, fear that it's maybe something else. Because, I mean, I had that nine centimeter teratoma and the other smaller one probably for many years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what put me in the hospital on July 21st. I've thought about it again. I was very hot. I was vomiting. Teratomas don't make you do that. So I, I have a feeling that was some other incident might have been heat or gallbladder I don't know that was something else and I think they just happened to find these and I don't know maybe they're poking around with the ultrasound I I don't know it's just I I'm just confused and I wonder if there isn't more I could do and I guess my one of my questions well I'm sorry I didn't read it it was when you say poking around with the ultrasound there was a transvaginal ultrasound yes and it, and it was painful. But I, I just want to ask you, I guess this is but really the, well, my Hang point. on just a second. So they right. usually in a transvaginal ultrasound, there is a not very big rod put into the vagina, yep. which is held stationary. And then there is a moving thing that is slid over the belly. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I had. This was just in, I don't know if there was something on my belly. This was just up in there, and she was moving it around. I guess it had a little camera on the end. She was moving it around, and her problem was she couldn't see my ovary because the cyst was in the way, or the, the teratoma, I guess, is in the way. So she was she was moving it around to try to see this it. This was through and, your and vagina? Yes, in my vagina. You can't see your ovary from your vagina? Did she well, have she something ult- into your uterus? I, I, I don't know. She had an ultrasound gadget that I guess she could see up in there, and she couldn't see, she couldn't see my ovaries. And, okay, um, the ultrasound thing just yeah. goes in your vagina, and there was something on your belly. I don't remember the thing on my belly, but I'll be honest with you, Susan. That night I was so in pain. They had given me something, and I just... I was har- just horrified because I'd never done a CT scan before and all that stuff. And I could, 
Okay, I mean, well, I just, wait a second. You just t- we're talking about a sonogram, which is totally different than a CT. Right. Scan. No, I know, but I had done that too, and I was freaking out. So maybe on the same day. On my okay, maybe there was something on my belly, but I know this was a rod with a tiny little ball at the end, and she made me put it in, and then she took over. But I, I'm not blaming her for looking. I guess I'm just curious when these things. You might have more experience with women with this these conditions. I know it could take a year, but when these things start to shrink, do they do they start to hurt more? I mean, I, I, it's not like a pain that I can't tolerate, but it's just like no, a, no, a. I don't know. I cannot tell you. It's very, very Sorry, I'm asking individual. Yeah, and uh, you know, CBD I think is a good choice. Last night, I did a chat with a group at Enchanted Forest about California poppy, and Uh a plant that I've never been successful at growing, so I haven't used it very much, but just chatting about it for an hour really made me curious about California poppy. It has a whole different set of alkaloids than regular poppy, Papaver somniflora, but it has many of the same attributes. It is calming, it relieves nerve pain, it relieves deep pain in the pelvic area. It's it's so safe, it can be used in any quantity, it can be used by children. Sounds like a great pain reliever, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, and, And if, if, is that something that you can buy, like, just in the health food store, yes. you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, California poppy. It's the item of commerce. You know, when I felt uncomfortable before, I took the Skullcap tincture, but mm-hmm. they're out of it, and all they had was the actual um, herb. So I, do I make that like I would make an infusion if I want to take that? Probably doesn't work as good. And, but it won't work as pain reliever. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I'll just get, I guess I'll get more CBD in California. How would I take the California poppy? That's not going to be in a, in a capsule form, I'm assuming. No, we don't take any herbs ever in capsules. I know, I know. But I, I, so it's California poppy is usually taken as a tincture. As a matter of fact, one author says, even though native people use it as a tea, it's highly ineffective as a tea because the active part of it, the part that really relieves the pain, is only soluble in alcohol. And they even recommend slightly heating the alcohol or doing it on a very warm day. And California poppy does grow in very warm temperatures. And that the air temperature should be 80 or above. And if not, then the vodka or whatever um, alcohol you're using should be warm to 80 degrees before you tincture your California poppy. That's just when you're making it. So I don't need to warm it up or try to warm it up when I'm taking it. Or should I? No, you don't. Okay, sorry. at all, just when you're making it. It's a very easy plant to grow. Very pretty. Well, that's good to know. Small, small orange poppy, usually about six to eight inches tall. Wow. Pretty, pretty gray, green, blue, green, feathery foliage. And it's one of the reasons the California is called the Golden State, because it used to be covered an acre upon acre upon acre of these golden California poppies. Huh. Susan, now that I'm getting like a little little bits of pain and maybe I need to examine what that fear is and I appreciate all your help in the past that I think I'm starting to be able to use better, but do you think I should 
or should I just ask myself, the chickweed and the wild yam, should maybe I should take a little more of them when I'm starting to feel kind of que- you know, kind of tender down there? So you're taking the chickweed for what purpose? The chick, the wild yam I thought was a tonifier, and the chickweed I, I forget how you put it, but it was to basically shrink my 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 cysts. Chickweed shrinks and dissolves. Right. You think the pain is from the shrinking and dissolving? Taking more chickweed would make more pain. Oh well, then how about backing off of it? You can try going both ways and see if it makes any difference. Wild yam is a hormonal precursor, and like Vitex or saw palmetto, it's often recommended whenever there's any situation going on in the pelvic region that could be influenced by hormones. Again, upping it could cause you to make more hormones, which might relieve the pain and might make it worse. Ah, okay. So I have to just play around with some just amount and see if I can feel it. I mean, I'm pretty sensitive, so I'm sure yeah. I will. Good. That's an okay. excellent way to do One of the ways that I do it, and it's one of the reasons why I use simples, is that I will take the liquid that I'm going to be putting my tincture in, and I'll hold that in one hand, and then I'll take the full dropper in my other hand, and I'll hold it above the liquid, and I will let the number of drops that I need come from the dropper. Wow, so you're not really squeezing the dropper? Rather than just squeezing the dropper and squeezing a dropper full in there, I very gently hold the dropper and let it go in, drop, 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 and I can feel right where I need to relieve the pressure. That's how how many drops I need right now. Wow, okay, that's great. Other people say they hold the dropper and a number comes into their mind, and then they use that many drops. Hmm. So it will be different. I'm very proprioceptive. I relate to the world very much through my sense of touch. Yeah, me too. I have to try that. Yeah, so that works very well for me. And just to circle back around to the fear, um, fear is a way to alert us to danger, right? Right. We're standing by a busy road, and we're afraid we will get hit by cars if we run in front of them. Very, very true. If, however, we're standing by an empty road and we're afraid we're going to get hit by a car, it's not true. So that's, that is the simplest thing that I'm asking you. Is this fear related to something that you need to actually watch out for or take action about? Or is this a fear that does not relate to what is really going on, but is a more generalized fear. I talk about the fear body and the fear body needing to be fed. That's why people love to go to frightening movies, right? Right. Is this your feed body looking for a meal, or is this something you actually need to pay attention to? If it's your fear body looking for a meal, do something exciting outdoors. Instead of eating yourself. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And if it's something you need to take action on, take action. And that action is, I don't have a holistic practitioner that I could go to or even trust. So that action is, I guess, whatever my body tells me to do, which is a little bit scary because 
I I mean I I had them they almost had me convinced you know for a moment that I should just let someone cut me open and and that's not what I want but at the same time when I'm having when I'm walking and I'm feeling like I don't know like it just painful in every step a little bit I mean I could still walk Here's something you could ask yourself if that's I something let them that cut, I, if I let them the, cut me open would I be in less pain or more pain than I'm in right now yeah, that's what I am asking myself that, and it's it's coming back very unclear and more frightening. So I think that's my answer. And thank you yeah. so much. I'm going to try these pain, well, this pain reliever, and see how it's going to do. This California poppy tincture. Your poppy, okay. Green thank blessings. you so much. Thanks Green blessings. And and good luck with your new book. Hey, thank you. Off to the printer. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> All right. The next caller is coming from the six zero three area code. Hi, Susan. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I so much enjoyed your conversation tonight. You can learn so much from, from whatever you're discussing or whether you're helping others or having conversation with Rebecca. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not thank you, sure. yes. Yes. I, I, it took us, you know, maybe a year or so for Rebecca and I to realize that we weren't, like, um, messing up by talking to each other. Oh, no. Yeah. Did I, oh, did, did, oh, no, that people actually enjoy that part of the show. <laughs> yes, very much so. I'm not quite sure how to go about asking my question, but I'll t- um, I'll tell you I'm 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 seeking your great knowledge and opinion on the subject of of smoking because it's been in the news very recently. Uh, you know, vaping versus um. Uh, oh, excuse me. Vaping is not smoking. No, no, vaping, yeah, exactly. Vaping is different than smoking, exactly. Now, um, I guess... Smoking is uniquely human. Okay. The fire is. There is no other being on this planet that utilizes fire, makes fire, and inhales fire. Mm-hmm. Because of this, smoking has always been associated with shamans and postmenopausal women. In many cultures, only shamans and postmenopausal women are allowed to smoke because it is understood that smoking changes the way your brain works and makes you much more unified with the natural world. The eight to 900 different native groups that lived on Turtle Island, and I learned this past weekend that Turtle Island includes North America, Middle America, and South America, and every one of those peoples smoked. They used a huge variety of plants, over 100 plants that were used as, as smoking herbs, and each person of power and each postmenopausal woman in cultures where that was the norm had their own smoking mix. The inhalation of hot, burning herbs into the lungs is healing to the lungs, dries out the excess mucus from the lungs. Tobacco is a highly addictive plant. Native people who grew tobacco felt that tobacco could steal your soul 
and they would cultivate it without looking at it. They would cultivate it blindfolded, or they would walk up to it backward and cultivate it behind their back. And this was small, wild tobacco, which rarely grows more than knee-high. The cultivated tobaccos of our modern age are enormous plants with leaves as big, as big or bigger than mullein leaves. And they are that tobacco, because it is alkaloid-rich, requires a very fertile soil, so chemical fertilizers are used. And those chemical fertilizers break down and react with the soil to create radon gas and to liberate radon gas. And that is true all the time in commercial farming. It's neither here nor there. Radon gas is is just part of the environment. But it's a big difficulty if we live in a basement with radon gas or... If we smoke a leaf in which radon has been absorbed into the leaf, which is true of tobacco. Smoking tobacco itself has not directly been shown to cause any problems. Smoking commercial tobacco, we know without a doubt, causes huge health problems. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yes, I I am. I I'm listening. Smoke melon, smoke coltsfoot, smoke corn silk, smoke skullcap, smoke mint, smoke any of the the wonderful plants that grow around you. Sumac berries were one of the favorite smokes, and they were the, a big, big, big hit in Europe as a smoke until tobacco was brought to Europe. And because of tobacco's addictive nature, it pushes everything else out. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Okay. So when when I when I heard on the news that uh all smoke even smoking herbs is bad because once something is combust combusted, you know, because smoke is the result of combustion because um I it was saying that um all well, that combustion all combusted sub- substances have can have or have tar and carcinogens as a result of being combusted that um that it would bad be bad to even smoke any herbs is that a false statement in your opinion then life is a dangerous process <laughs> i suggest that you pull the plug on everything and run as fast and as far as you can to some isolated mountaintop. Oops, I'm sorry, you're going to be breathing in pollutants up there too. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm just trying to get to the truth because I I trust you. Are we talking about smoking an herb nonstop? Are Are we talking about smoking an herb ritually once or twice a day? Um, In most cultures, a pipe was smoked at sunrise and again at sunset. Mm -hmm. This very minimal amount that is actually Mm -hmm. being taken in. Mm -hmm. As inhaled smoke been used by healers around the world for thousands of years to help people with breathing difficulties, you bet. Mm Mm-hmm. Do people mm-hmm. all over the world use herbs for smudging, for creating clouds of smoke that they put themselves in for healing purposes? Uh-huh. Exactly. So we can live by fear. Right. Or we can live 
by understanding that our ancestors had a body of knowledge that includes things that science doesn't. Right. Okay. And then it made me think about uh, back in the 70s before I had any knowledge of of, um, harmful things that could harm you. Um, I remember in college, you know, buying those hard, uh, like those hard cones of incense or the sticks of incense. They, I doubt if they were pure, but as long as you're, you're burning up the herb itself and, like you say, doesn't have any contaminants in it, um, it, that would be the safe way to go, like if you wanted to inhale incense, right, or, or to relieve pain or, or cancer, like you have lung cancer. And, you, and I heard you say that it's very beneficial herbs to different, various herbs are beneficial to the lungs, you said, because it dries up, can dry up. Um, that means that it would necessarily help anyone who had lung cancer. which is a, a, a different kind of process. Oh, so some people... I have, never said, I have never said that smoking would be advised for someone with lung cancer. I don't think that someone oh. with lung cancer would want to smoke, is my guess. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, um... Then so drinking infusion, as- mullen or something like that to help the lungs. Mm-hmm. To- Treatment and so on would be more what I would think would be useful. What kind of treatment would be useful? Whatever treatment they choose. And Mm -hmm. to have integrative care, complementary and integrated care with that. They could be drinking mullein infusion or taking elecampane tincture or any of the other herbs that are helpful and supportive to the lungs. As far as dealing with pain, um, to to um, because um, after surgery it was recommended. What, what do you call those places where the states where it's not legal? You uh, medical is is legal, and you have to go to a place. It's not what's it called? And not an infirmary. It's called a um, oh gosh. At so, this point, at this point, CBD tincture and CBD oil is being freely sold all over the United States. You don't have to go anywhere. At the time, they were recommending to me for medical um, purposes. They actually wanted, were telling, trying to talk me into vaping or smoking and, and even edibles. And I said, no, I've done They vaping. being? The people who work in, I can't think of the name of um, states that don't dispensary. have. Yeah, the dispensary. They were actually recommending that I do edibles, which I said no, or smoking or vaping, and I said no. <laughs> uh, I prefer to we're up do to, we're up another to what, way. Five deaths from vaping, six deaths from va- vaping. Again, not a huge number, but yeah, the, yeah, vaping is killing people. Mm, and tobacco. You know, we've never had anybody die directly from smoking tobacco. They get diseases like lung cancer or emphysema, which kill them, but the tobacco doesn't kill people. Well, I'm talking about the cannabis that they were recommending. But vaping does. And, and vaping kills. Well, you know what? The people who are selling things are always going to recommend the things they're selling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just human nature. Mm-hmm. 
you're not going to be selling cannabis and say, this doesn't work, go next door and get some drugs. Because I was looking for, you know, to relieve pain, not for any of the other things. So what I'm saying is CBD oil and CBD tincture, both of which can be taken internally, both of which relieve pain, are, by and large, easily available anywhere. Catskill Mountain Herbals, run by White Feather, a name you've heard quite often here, has beautiful CBD oil available. Okay. So I am getting the feeling that you would go for that first and before you would go for smoking or vaping cannabis for pain. Am I reading I would never vape cannabis. Never. Okay. Never. N-E-V-E-R. Never. Yeah. Yeah. And and smoke and smoking cannabis because it's supposed to be a good source. If you get it from a dispensary, it's supposed to be you know no contaminants. It's, they say it's organic. Oh, I, I'm not sure what you mean by contaminant, and I'm not sure what they mean by organic. <laughs> okay, but well, um, in general, uh, in general, unless you are going off, you know, and smoking, you know, every five minutes or every fifteen minutes, or you know. Too much. Um, it, it, it. My experience has been that it is safe and non-addictive. Smoking cannabis. Yes. Mhm. And mm-hmm. most people learn very quickly that the less they smoke, the more they get from it. Yes. Yeah, smaller doses are always better. Exactly. I've learned that from you. Yes, thank you. Well, 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 thank you. And the other question I had was about kratom. I'm not sure what it is, and and that is now. Need to know what it is. Stay as far away from it as you can. Oh, kratom is not something that was that was smoked. It um, is not safe. It has killed people. Stay away. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Well, I, I thank you for um, educating me more on this because I've had a lot of questions on this for quite some time. So I'm very appreciative of uh, your knowledge. I, and I hope you were listening earlier on when I was talking about California poppy for pain relief. Yes, I, I did catch that. <laughs> I did. Okay, so check that one out too. I will. Thank, thank you so much. Have a good night. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings to you too. Thank you. The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Are you there Hello, nine I think we'll go to the next caller. We have quite a few people still left in the line here. The next well, caller is coming did, from the... We did talk for a long while, but that's okay. It was a good talk. Uh, this caller is coming from the 319 area code. I'm sorry. I have to go in the house and beep, but I'll come right back out. Are you there in the 319? Yes, hello. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, I have been um, listening to your podcast for about a year and a half now, drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Okay. Uh, taking your, yeah, taking your 30 minutes um, a week herb class right now. Wonderful. And last, yeah, yeah, I'm loving it. I'm a little nervous. So, last year, I found a patch of St. John's wort, and I wasn't 100% sure it was right, but I, I had my a couple of guides with me, and I thought it was the right plant. So, I took some flowering pots and had just like a baby food jar, not very much, covered it with 100-proof vodka, and was so thrilled that it turned red. 
So I thought, I have the right plant. So I, t- I put it in little bottles, the brown bottles, and now, almost you know, a year later, I was using the tincture, and I pulled it out, and the dropper is clear, but the tincture isn't red anymore. So did it oxidize, or did I just do something wrong? I have no idea. I've never seen that happen. Okay. And um, my question, I guess, is um, what caused you to take it out of the jar that you were tincturing it in? Well, I've been trying, I've been studying herbalism. I, I went to um, the New England Herbal Academy before I found you, and they were talking about decanting it and putting it in bottles so that I was using clear Don't. jars. Don't. Don't decant. Don't. Don't. Oh. Okay. Make a dosage bottle, Yes. But just one, because your tincture is going to evaporate through those rubber droppers. Oh. So once you take it out of the jar that you made it in and put it in that dosage bottle with the rubber dropper, it's on the way out. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Whereas if you leave it in the bottle you made it in, it'll be good for 25 years. Okay. So do I need to put it in a mason jar that is an amber color to keep the sunlight from affecting it? Don't store it in the sun. Well, I have all of them in a room that just has one window in it, but they, I have been putting them in glass, just clear glass jars. That's fine. Don't put them in the window. Don't put them where the sun shines on them. Put a drape over them. Do something so that they're in the dark. Gotcha. Okay. Right? It's also a whole lot easier to store the large jars with the plant and and the vodka than it is to store all those little jars. That's true. I guess I was thinking in terms of, so I'm a, a grandma, and I've got six kids and two grandkids now, and I was just sort of, you know, this, I love this idea of herbal medicine, people's medicine, and you uh-huh. know, I, think, I, I see my, grand, you know, my kids taking grandkids to the doctor, and I thought, all right, I'm grandma, you know, the chrome, what do you call it, chrome now? Yeah. Like 50. And um, so I was kind of putting them in the dark. You're a clone when it's been 13 months since you've bled. Oh, I'm not there yet then. No, you're not trying. Okay. Okay. So I wanted to share it with my daughters and daughters-in-law, and Mm -hmm. um, that was my purpose. For I have motherwort, and um, I did the St. John's. I have hops that I tinctured. Huh? I did hawthorn berries, but I heard you say that you keep hawthorn berries in for at least a year. I did not do that. I did six weeks, so it's probably garbage, I suppose. I don't think it's garbage. Um, I do not think it's garbage. No. Very difficult to do it totally wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I find my... that anything made from a dried plant needs to sit for much, much longer than six weeks. That's my experience. Okay. 
not that's that it's garbage. And as a matter of fact, you can just pour it back over some more hawthorn berries, right? Oh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm having a hard time with confidence and thinking. So the motherwort tincture, I tried myself, and I love it. It is just great. Oh, and so you yeah. found you found motherwort, and you harvested the fresh motherwort in flour, and you okay. chopped it up and poured hundred proof vodka over it and let it sit together. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. Good. Uh, Wonderful. I, I, and so uh, you can do any number of dosage bottles that you want to. If you want to give one to each of your, I don't remember how many kids. I think you said four kids and six grandkids, something like that. I have six kids. Yep. Kids. And okay. Just two grandkids. Just two grandkids. So Sorry, I got it backwards. Oh, no, I said it wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, I'm sure you didn't. I'm sure I just misheard because I wasn't paying really close attention to that part of it. Um, so certainly, you know, you can make, you know, six dosage bottles and label them and give them to them. The, the, the tricky part often comes when um, – we give things to people before they need them. Oh. So I find that there's more acceptance if I wait until they have need for motherwort. They're mm-hmm. upset about something or they're having menstrual cramps or one of the kids is cranky or something like that. And they say, oh, I found motherwort very useful in this situation. I happen to have some with me, and I can leave this bottle with you. Got you. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, then I, I they have a reason to use it. They can see whether or not it works for them, making it much more likely that they will use it again if it does. Whereas if they just get given a bottle of motherwort, 90% of the time, when you go over there six months later, it's going to be sitting somewhere unopened. Yes. Yes, I have actually already seen that happen. Yeah. And I've tried to encourage nourishing herbal infusions. I've, I've purchased actual, like, the kettles and, and herbs and jars for, for them and, like, okay, here you go. And, you know, they don't really um, take that yet, but I They're not interested. <laughs> right. Right. And I think I think a lot of it is still they're kind of thinking their mom has gone off the deep end because she's into all these herbs, and it's like they're probably she's probably gonna kill us. So there's you know that fear there. It just doesn't work to press anything on your family that way. It just doesn't. Never has, never yeah. will. The better way to do it is drink your nourishing herbal infusions, be vibrant, be happy, have a great life, and they'll notice. Right. They'll oh, notice. I have to tell you. And yeah, they'll say, tell you. gee, mom was always available to babysit. Gosh, mom was always up for an adventure. I wonder what happened to make mom so healthy. Let them yeah, beg. that's right. Let them yep. beg. Let them walk. And then give to them. Yeah, right. that's good. It's so much more effective than trying to push it on them. Yep. Yep, that's right. Well, and I do have a couple of stories that my kids have seen that have been wonderful. I was, uh, my daughter and I were both on horses, and her horse kicked my horse, and my foot was in between. So I had, I couldn't even walk on it. It was so painful. Went to, you know, doctor and 
it wasn't broken. And they said, well, be on these crutches for a couple of weeks. And I was on the crutches for a couple of hours. And I thought, I, I can do nothing with these crutches. It's ridiculous. So I got calm free and made a poultice of it. And I put that poultice on my foot and let it sit for, I think I had it on for six hours or so. And the next day I could put weight on it. It hurt still, but I could put weight on it. And then I never used the crutches at all. And my husband got into, we raised a lot of our own food, and he was digging out potatoes and got into some um, hornets that were in the ground. He got stung. He usually reacts terribly. I had taken jewelweed um, and boiled it up. I listened to you talk um, about a month ago or so about using that broth as an antihistamine. So I put it in these um, freezer tubs and had jewelweed broth in the freezer, and I said, oh, honey, we've got to put this, you know, put your arm up and your leg up because he got stung both on his arms. Like, so we wrapped that up, um, these ice cube jewelweed um, ice cubes, and he didn't have any swelling. It was gone the next day. Yay, jewelweed. Yeah, so my kids are seeing that. I'm seeing that. I'm, like, so excited about the herbs because they work. Exactly, exactly. So they will see that, and they will get excited, and they will then ask you. And the grandchildren are the ones who are going to be the most open to it. Yes. Yes, I had my granddaughter helping me pick violet leaves early in the spring, and she just loved carrying that basket around and picking the violet leaves. And, yeah, it's great. So thank you so much. I won't take more of your time. I really appreciate you. Oh, I'm so glad you called. Thanks for sharing. Green blessings. Green blessings. Yeah, my little son, my little five-year-old is so into the herbs right now, and he wants to give them to everyone, and he, like, asks for, he calls them slippery yum balls, and he wanted those in his lunch today, and he asked for mullein milk because he just misses drinking it. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so heartwarming when they grow up with it. Mm-hmm. It's... It, 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 to even call it people's medicine, they wouldn't understand because it, it it already is people's medicine for them. Yeah, he wants to bring some out to Sean, my my husband's mother, and he's already like coming up with a care kit to bring to her in Montana because she's having you know like end of life care right now, and he's like saying you know all the things that we need to bring her, and it's it's amazing. So, <laughs> all right, we'll get one more caller in here. Um, from the 908 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I am having a um, a wart on my foot. I think I, I was thinking it was a callus or a corn. I was thinking it was corn. But it's seems I, I asked my doctor to look at it today and she said it's a planter's wart. It's and it's been there, you know, Plant, for about plantar. Hmm? Plantar. Plantar's wart, yes. Um yes. and it uh no S plantar. Plantar wart. Okay. And, and plantar wart grows in rather than out. Yeah. Yeah. Well this and so there's some pain on it because there's something inside there. Yeah, it's like a it's like a a core. It seems. And they're like, like all warts; they're fairly contagious. They can be picked up by 
um, walking especially in wet places, showers, um, hot tubs, saunas, swimming pools, places like that are places that usually spread plantar warts. Um, and for some people, they become really bothersome. Uh, the medical solution is usually to put a small piece of dry ice on it and burn down into it because you have to they say you have to burn the root away. Uh, yeah. What Ed Casey suggests is a castor oil pack, which I have found fairly effective. has to be mm. repeated daily, but it can get down into there and relieve it. And it, even at the very beginning, it softens it to the point where any pain is certainly lessened. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can often okay. feel like you're stepping on a piece of broken glass. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a point. Yeah. So mm. the castor oil softens it and becomes not so sharp. Okay. How about salicylic acid? That's kind of what she said, and um, I'm open to it, but I just wondered what you thought and about that, it. But that burns it, and then you have to heal that burn. I know. That worries me a bit, because I've got several of them both Why don't on you both sides. Oil first? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt in any way. Set yourself a time limit. What do you want to give yourself? Seven days, ten days, three weeks to work with the castor oil? And if that doesn't work, then do something um, more invasive. Okay. Okay, so would you do like a foot at a time? Like I have, you know, several on each foot on the outside. They're little, but, you know, I don't think I could do What is yeah. done castor oil is used to saturate a bandage and that castor oil saturated bandage is put over the plantar wart. Yeah, so that would work then to do like one, you know, let's say the pad of one foot at a time. That would work. I'm not sure why you couldn't do all of them at the same time, but as you wish. Well, yeah, I could put a bandage on each foot. I could do it that way. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I, I have another question, but I'll call you another week because I think it's it's time for you to go. All right. Dream blessings. Good night. Thanks. Thank you. Good night. How are we doing on time here, Rebecca? Yes, it is uh, 9 o'clock your time now. Well, I am happy to welcome Gemma Benton to the show. She's a traditional Native American singer, a wild crafter, a spiritual activist, and the creator of the Shift Networks, reweaving your ancestral stories. Gemma is Menominee and Filipino, and she has worked with Native American community leaders and healers for the past 27 years. In her work as a spiritual activist, she shares techniques about the power of connection, about ancestral healing, and about intergenerational trauma. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Susan, for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you and Rebecca. And to I love, I've been listening in for the last little bit and loving hearing all of your um your stories, as well as your your seasoned and wise advice about uh, using those medicines, and so 
so it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm sure that our listeners want to know what you mean when you say you're a spiritual activist. Well, I started off when I was younger um, doing the more traditional activism, you know, you know on marches, protesting, um, you know, getting involved with legislation and um, legislation and, and community activism. And I guess as, you know, time went on and I got more involved, I realized part of what my nature is as well, um, you know, I felt, I, I, that felt like a, inauthentic to me, Susan. So I, I wanted something that felt authentic to my natural personality, to the way those things that interested me and that I feel are, are powerful. So I focus on spiritual change. I use, um, I, I believe that spirituality is meant to help us change and to address those injustices that we see uh, in our world, in, in reality. So uh, it's not just about it being um, spiritual within us, but how it flows out into our lives and creates balance and connection and healing uh, in, in the world around us. So spiritual activism starts with spirit. It starts with an understanding of our spirit and the way that we interact with other spirits. Um, and, and whether that is the spirit of the earth or in the plants or medicines, um, pharmaceuticals, or systems around us. So, yeah. That's what, that's what I mean by spiritual activism. It reminds me of Starhawk's Reclaiming Collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, Reclaiming that, is really important. That our spirituality is not to be set aside from life. Spirituality is not the renunciation of life, but a way to make life more equitable for all, and this is especially true, I find, in the goddess movement, because all acts of pleasure and beauty are in her honor, and so that makes makes us very much want to see more pleasure and more beauty. And I find that this is also true in some Native American communities that have somehow maintained matriarchal roots and resisted the Christianization and colonization. Which right. I'm uh, unfortunately, it is more the norm. The Christianization of of Native American spirituality is what I find. I call it Christianity with feathers stuck in it. Yeah, and it's and it's a needing. You know, you talked about that. Um, you know, that hunger for fear. That fear. It's it's it. That's where the intergenerational comes. You know, trauma comes in. You know, when that fear needs to be fed, that um, trauma needs to fed. It's like a spirit, and it needs to be fed, but we no longer remember those healthy ways to do it. So we stay in those systems. We stay aligned with those beliefs that keep us there. Um, and, you know, that's that's part of that dynamic. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, what, yeah, what I, I is as soon as you hear anybody starting to talk about filthy sinner or needing to be redeemed, you're listening to Christianity. Right, right. At my experience, somewhat limited, but nonetheless as you know, broad as I could make it with Native groups all over the world, is that no unchristianized Native group um, believes they're filthy sinners. In fact, to, right. to, to put it rather bluntly, they usually think they're the kings of the world. Well, I think it's, it's certainly, I don't know whether I'd, I'd say kings of the world, but, you know, certainly a part of creation. Part you of know, creation. certainly an active element in creation, you know. So, um, but I, what you I know. Most people's name for themselves translates as the people or the only people. Right, right. right? And part of that is because, you know, like for most of us, we are a blending of cultures. And so our peoples comes from different places. But when you talk about the old people, you know, that have been in a place for hundreds and thousands of years, that's the reality that they know in that place, right? So for my husband, like we'll just say, you know, he's, he's full-blooded Shoshone. He is only full-blooded Shoshone. His people come only from Nevada. He grew up only hearing that particular dialect of Shoshone. Now, there's many dialects, and there's Shoshones all through Nevada, California, Oregon, um, going up into Washington, and um, Eastern Shoshones going up into Idaho and um, Wyoming. And then, you know, the whole Utah Aztecan language group um, goes all the way up east into, you know, Idaho and Wyoming, and it's related to the Comanches, related to the um, um, to Ono O'odham down south and into, uh, you know, um, Mexico, uh, the Nahuatl language. All of those are Uto-Aztecan Shoshonean language groups. But for my husband, he grew up in this place as, you know, understanding that they were the people. They were of this place in the earth. And so, you know, of course, their language reflects that they're belonging with the earth there. So all of, you know, and that's true for all of those old, you know, uh, people. Yeah. What I'm talking about, they're not ashamed to be people. Right, right. That's and what, and that's, that's when, what I'm at with kings. Not that they're the yeah. ruler, but that they had no shame about being the human part of that community. Right, and and being human is being fully human. I, you know, was talking with a dear friend, and and we had she had participated in her first ceremony, um, and she says, "I feel so human." So human, and I'm like, that's the point. It's it's about becoming fully human, fully connected in that sacred circle, standing with all of our relations, not just human, so not only human, but you know, connected to all of creation, you know, in that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In your work as a spiritual activist, you talk about connections. Could you? Tell us more about that. Yeah, connections is everything. You know, Susan, you, you talk about that in your, you know, I loved listening to you earlier when you were talking about 
you know, how do you know your, the dosage that you need right now? Or even like you and Rebecca were talking about early, like deciding whether your child should be immunized in this particular way. There's the, the logical part of us that has to do our work and accept our responsibility, you know, with the information that we're, that we have, that we have available to us. And there's another part of us that has to understand the connection we are, either we have or we don't have with that medicine or with that pharmaceutical or with that substance or that ingredient. And so connection is what informs us. It's our relationship with those things. So, you know, like for me, um, Everything starts with the connection, you know, whether you're talking about relating with that plant that, you know, you're making a tincture of, you know, we take that moment always when we go to pick um, that plant to connect with its spirit, to, to stop before we even touch it and address it as a spirit before we then ask it to come and make medicine with us and for us. And, that connection is part of why that medicine becomes then so powerful. So, and you talked earlier about, you know, the way that indigenous and native people use, you know, that those um, use tobacco or other herbs as, as to smoke with. And most often it's used to pray with. We're communing. We are meditating with, we are understanding um, that plant nation, but also, our place in that circle, our place on the planet. So as we're praying with that tobacco, you know, we're asking, you know, the plants, we're asking, you know, creator, we are asking all of our ancestors to show us our place in the circle. And it's the, that place, that relationship then gets carried out throughout our life to the people that we then interact with. You know, whether that connection gets the connection from that we made early as we greeted that sun in the morning gets connected to the kids. It gets connected to, you know, the kids then connect with their school or other, you know, people that they run into. Then, it, you know, it echoes out through our communities, throughout our relationships. When we start with that prayerful intention to find, to discover, you know, who we are and what our place is in the circle, then that, you know, that, that ripples through and it, and it creates powerful connections. When we fail to do that, when we just, you know, uh, dart off in the morning, we, you know, we don't take that moment to, you know, to really um, even be aware of what we're doing, where we're, you know, that we're going into uh, this place, uh, you know, with, um, <laughs> you know, we're going into this place disconnected from our own spirits. We don't, you know, we echo that as well. The disconnection, all of the opportunities are missed along the way to really create meaning in our lives and other people's lives. And I, I feel like at this particular time when we're talking about, you know, a digital age and um, you know, so many things like I was, you know, listening to the, the um, person talk about vaping and I'm like, that's such a disconnected process in itself. Um, 
you know, we we want to call, we want to pretend it's smoking, and it's some form of smoking, but we don't want to do, you know, we don't want to make the connection with the real plant because it's it's distorted in itself. So of course it's going to echo that same distorted energy into our systems. So connection, you know, and reclaiming that connection, starting with a prayerful te- intent, you know, rolling that that tobacco um, smoke, and or even just taking a bit of water and praying with it sets you know starts everything in in the most powerful way. And you know, when we're working with those plants, um, that's so important for the the. Um, strength of that medicine. Yeah. And the and the connection weaves the generations together as well. I had a very that's right a very moving experience in Jamaica um, where I was with somebody who said, "Let's have a party. Let's invite a bunch of people over for dinner." That sounds like a good idea. And then they said, "Well, we need to go shopping." And of course, for me, you know, shopping would be go to the supermarket. For them, shopping was get in the car and drive to Auntie So-and-So's and say, hey, Auntie So-and-So, do you have a ripe breadfruit? And then driving to Uncle So-and-So's and saying, hey, Uncle So-and-So, is your papaya tree bearing? And we, you know, made the rounds. Whether they were actually this person's answer uncles, I never ask, because it's an honorific. Um, and she said to me, she said, don't go into the bush and pick anything because every plant belongs to someone. Right. Yeah. And I just, I got this, like, thrill that, like, you know, made the little hairs on my body stand up, that the, the plants are not only inhabited with their own spirits, but they are inhabited with ancestral spirits. Mm-hmm. And that our connection is not just between me right now and this plant right now, but it goes back and back and back and back through the entire history of the plant for millions of years and back and back and back for the whole history that connects me to my ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. So when we walk, you know, we go and we go gather, you know, plants in some way, part of what we're doing when we take that moment is is to address that plant as a spirit, as a generation of the plants that it, it comes from, and to stand there and say, I am a generation of the people that I come from, and you know, allow that exchange to happen on a spiritual soul, uh, individual but collective level as well. You know, to say, this is who we are, and we're you know, recognizing and reclaiming um, our relationship with each other. You know, it's, it's making relations. Speaking of wildcrafting, what got you started in wildcrafting? Well, you know, I many, many years ago, I, um, so I uh, grew, I'm an Air Force brat, and I grew up just about as disconnected and fragmented as it gets. You know, so there is, uh, my my father was a um, uh Vietnam um, soldier and had experienced PTSD. And of course, in the services and military, the frequent remedy for that, you know, is to anesthetize using one substance or another, but often alcohol. alcohol. And um, 
So he used alcohol to numb out and rage out, and it creates a lot of dysfunction, um, you know, in this generation. And so uh, as a young person, I, I, you know, used drugs and alcohol and began, you know, uh, abusing that and then began my recovery process. As part of that recovery process, you know, I was looking for medicines. Um, well, I was looking for healing, but I understood that medicines was part of that. And so while I was looking for um, to understand medicines and, you know, beginning off with, you know, a lot of them like, you know, um, St. John's wort and, and things like that, initially it was also the medicine that came out of picking plants and being on the earth and being hearing those stories of the elders as, as we picked and hearing their songs and sharing that. It was making relations. Again, they're digging roots, gathering plants, making tinctures, making you know, oils um, with each other. That, that medicine for my soul began to really um, you know, take root. It, it began to you know, heal that, that other wound. So it, you know, when they're connected like that, it does, it does all of those, it does all that juicy goodness um, for us. Yeah. More and more over the years, I have uh-huh. encouraged people here at classes to help us pick a wild sound because I see that the act of bending over, picking a leaf, putting it in a basket, and then putting it in a bowl with leaves because they're gathered by others and eating it is incredibly spiritually transformative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, they are getting so much that they can hardly even put into words. The, 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 not just the words, not just the belief that the earth is our mother and will take care of us, but they've actually put that into practice. Yeah, they've actually seen that there, are, that there are simple plants right there that they can recognize, pick, and eat, right like that, bit bamboo, and that they did it themselves. So few people anymore have any direct experience with anything that they put into their bodies. We're so used to buying it, whether it's grown or manufactured by others, and I. So I have always understood that herbal medicine as people's medicine is deeply political and is an activist activity. But as the years have gone by, I have found more and more direct ways to bring people into it. Let me ask you the question that every herbalist dreads, but you put it on your question, so I will ask you what's your favorite plant. Well, I I have so many. I have so many. It just depends on the season and what we're doing, right? But, you know, I love elderberry because it's so accessible to everyone. And the truth of it is all of our ancestors in one species or another, that plant knows us. And it is a great plant for us to begin to, um, to, you know, to work with. It's a great plant all the way around to work for work. It's not, um, 
it's just it's it's you know it's uh, luscious in its own way, and I did not know it was it worked for um, until just recently, but it works for both wrinkles and acne, and I was thinking about that when you were talking about um, you know one of your your guests was talking about sharing her tinctures with the kids and the grandkids. It, how beautiful, I mean, within the plant itself, it's communicating, you know, it's creating opportunity for the elder, the grandmother, and the teenage daughter to, to you know, the granddaughter to take care of um, each other with that medicine. And grandma can say, oh, you want to, you know, take care of that acne? Here's some, you know, here's some medicine that will help you with that. And um, I use it for my wrinkles, but you can use it for your acne too. And it comes from, you know, our heritage. It's it's part of who we are. Directly on the skin to remove acne? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Interesting. I, I didn't know about it then, but yeah, that's what I've heard. Stain your face purple? And, um, you're using... Well, so the oil, so you're taking, you know, you're making um, an infusion with the oil, so it wouldn't be as what oil? As, what oil? There's no. If you elder. make, so you, if you have take the berries, elderberry oil. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you, and then the elderberry oil is not purple. No, it's not going to be that purple. Okay, because the tincture, of course, is so purple it's almost black. Yeah, and, and that's well, one of the major healing constituents of the elderberry is in the anthocyanins, the that purple color. It's the major antioxidant. It's what, really what gives the elderberry its oomph. So, I, I hear you um, that you could put the berries in oil and that they won't turn dark, which makes me think that it's the oil that's taking care of the acne, and the elder has no part in it. It could be. I've never used it for that, but I was just seeing. I ju- I just read it, so I've never Aero- actually used that for that. But it sounds wonderful. Yeah, well, but you see, elderberries aren't antibacterial, and acne is bacteria. Oh. And for many faces, putting oil on acne is not going to improve the situation, whereas yarrow tincture is antibacterial, and because it's drying rather than making more oil and of course the scars from acne come from too much oil oh well there you go so so i just suggest great concept yeah raise their face with yarrow tincture and go to sleep beautiful yeah and it's an antibacterial treatment that works all night long and if you want to wet your face in the morning and pat some yarrow tincture in and then go through your day with that, that's good, too. The little extra moisture helps to carry it um, in a little bit. And if there's really bad spots, then what I suggest is a little honey to keep the area hydrated so it doesn't harden. Just a tiny little, little dab of honey on the wet skin will usually soak in and not leave you sticky. But I'm with you. I love elderberry. I, I can't say that they're easily accessible to me because although there are some elder trees where I live, not a lot, but some, 
uh, between the deer and the birds. We don't get any elderberries at all, but fortunately they are an item of commerce, and I can buy them dried and make various things from dried elderberries. And, of course, one of the most important that we think of elderberry for is to ward off and to cure the flu. What spiritual practices would you recommend to people, especially if they are looking to reconnect with their cultural heritage or their ancestors? You know, for your folks especially, it just makes sense to spend time with those plants, you know, because that's where it starts from. And to think that, you know, it's, you know, that's where it starts from. And um, we are, you know, just like we were talking about, we we're connected in that circle. Those plants know our ancestors and how they use them. We can learn from those plants that piece. You know, that those plants taught me or the plants taught me, you know, how to reclaim myself, to re you know, cover myself. Um, you know, starting first one and then another. You know, they helped me all along, and they still do. They still continue. I don't wildcraft as much just because I, I get so busy. But when I was younger, you know, um, I did, you know, a lot of it, and um, and because it's so readily available. But in any case, um, you know, I love um, getting out there and going and digging and you know, uh, harvesting plants and, you know, just being out with the plants uh, is, is a power and the earth, of course, all the elements. Um, it's just a, such, such a powerful piece that you don't have to go, uh, you know, so the way that we as you know, native indigenous people believe too, is that in the history, everything that, you know, ever has been known is recorded in that dirt itself. So when we get our hands in it, you know, when we we're touching that memory and we don't have to understand it linearly for it to affect us. We don't have to, you know, and then you said that earlier too as well, that, you know, um, there are some things that, you know, we're still waiting for science to catch up on, you know, and, Science has proven a lot of it to be true, but there's some places where we're still, they're still behind. And that's one of those places, you know, um, you know, where we can just by reaching in touch in the memory of our ancestors and then listen and bring that more and more into our lives. Eating, like you said, you know, those raw plants, taking that medicine, it all informs ourselves and it connects us back with our ancestors, not just in um, those obvious ways, but, you know, in the way that the spirit of the plant does works with us, the way that it works within our cells and our cells become activated um, in that way too. You know, like, so we talk about epigenetics and the way that trauma gets activated. Wisdom gets activated inside of ourselves too. Memory and intelligence gets activated within ourselves. And those plant medicines are, dynamic in that way um so you know so it, like would be, you say, it would be the ancestral um spiritual dimension instead of post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> right it's it's that those wisdom downloads that we get do you have you a do you, do you have a clock nearby you what how much time do we have left 
It's I'm outside, so I, I can't see a timing device. Can you, Rebecca, can you? Can you tell us something? Yeah, it looks like you have about a minute left. About a minute left. All right, then. Uh, see if you can put into that minute, uh, Gemma, um, how people can get in touch with you and your last thoughts for them. So you can visit me at my website. It's uh, Gemma Benton, com, And I'd love for you, um, I have on my site a uh, 30 days of journaling with the ancestors. It's a lot of what we've just been talking about, like ways to access your ancestors through ordinary daily things that we do, but with that intention of connecting um, with our ancestors and with ourselves. So um, it's been an honor, though, Susan, having this conversation with you. Thank you. And thank you, Rebecca, for being such a great um, support to Susan and the community. It has gone way too fast. What a fascinating person you are. Gemma B. Benton is the way to find her. That's G-E-M-M-A-B-B-E-N-T-O-N, Gemma B. Benton. Thank you, Gemma, for helping us all to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. The threads that you add are strong threads for us. They weave us back into our ancestors in ways that are deeply rooted and deeply grounding to us, far beyond the bounds of what words can tell us deep into our souls, are reweaving into all that the ancestors want us to remember. Our theme for the Goddess Spirit Rising uh, conference was this time, I will listen. And we spoke it to the earth, and we spoke it to the air and the water and the fire, and we spoke it to the stars and the moon, and we spoke it to our ancestors. This time, I will listen. Thank you so much. Mm. And thank you, Rebecca, for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, and good night, everybody. Good night, Jesus. Good night, Monica Jean. Thank you, everyone. Good night.